Hello and welcome to The Path, the podcast from Lifestyle RX. My name is Dan. I'm the CTO here at Lifestyle RX, and joining uh, me for this podcast is Dr. Byrne. I'll let you introduce yourself. Hi, Brendan Byrne. I'm the Chief Medical Officer of Lifestyle RX. Uh, I've been working in lifestyle medicine for the last five or six years, helping people with type 2 diabetes uh, achieve remission. Awesome. So uh, I guess to jump right in, maybe the first thing we'll go over is uh, where the idea for this podcast uh, came from. Well, as you know, Dan, we, we've been offering this 12-week diabetes reversal program for the past year through Lifestyle RX. And for the previous five years through our Lifestyle Medicine Clinic Wellness Garage, we wanted to create something for people that are uh, either you know not quite ready to commit to a group, so something that they could 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 use to get them ready to commit to a group, uh, and also for those people who have finished the program, a lot of them have said that they they miss kind of uh, touching touching base on some of the materials that we go through. Um, the group in in the the uh, com- online community uh, will you know I think will benefit from having kind of this this weekly podcast. Uh, so um, we're going to put all the episodes into the community, and we're going to have the ask uh, ask ask a question feature hosted there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're looking forward to seeing all those questions that people send in for us to answer. So um, I guess uh, continuing along the theme of, uh, of this podcast here, maybe you want to explain a little bit about the name of the path and where that, uh, how we got to that, where that came from. Yeah, so so we really, in you know, Lifestyle RX is all about a lifestyle medicine approach for diabetes reversal. And lifestyle medicine is based on the fact that the most impactful thing we can do is improve our core lifestyle behaviors of nutrition, movement, sleep, stress tolerance, relationships, and purpose. And we do this kind of one behavior at a time. And so we came up with the metaphor of the path. And the path is really that set of behaviors or habits that align with your body's physiology. Uh, When you're consistent and persistent with these behaviors, your body heals and you feel better, you lose weight, your inflammation goes away and insulin resistance improves. So, you know, for us is, is to get on that path and then stay the path. And really this is what the podcast is here to do is to help people find their path and stay on it. All right. Excellent. So, um, I know one thing we talk about a lot when we're talking about uh, diabetes reversal in our programs and stuff is this, this concept of metabolic health and, um, I know it, may, it makes a lot of sense to, to physicians out there, but maybe um, for, for those of us who haven't heard the term before or don't quite know what it means, um, maybe a good thing to do would just be for us to, to break that down and explain what metabolic health actually is. Sure, sure. Well, first of all, metabolism, it, it's, it's a fancy word for what we do with food, right? And so, um, so basically, we use food for three big things, right? We use food to, for energy, we use food for growth, and we use food for repair. So provides kind of the building blocks for those things. Um, when we talk metabolic health, we're often talking around energy. And so when we're eating food for energy, it's predominantly um, the, the, the carbohydrates and fats that we're eating are predominantly what we're going to use for energy. Uh, and then interestingly, our body has the ability to store carbs. We store carbs as glycogen. Uh, we have the ability to store fat, and we all know where we <laughs> how we store fat as fat. Um, and what happens in uh, in type two diabetes and, and and really through the metabolic health progression 
is you, you, you start to lose the ability to burn fat. And it's, it's one of the things that we see. And so people start to lose their metabolic flexibility where they, they actually have plenty of stored energy on boards, i.e. fat, um, but they can only burn carbohydrates. They can only use the glycogen in their muscles. They can't actually use fat as fuel. And so metabolic flexibility is that ability to flip between, you know, using carb as fuel. So using stored glycogen or, or, or food coming in, uh, but also using stored fat. And so, um, really when we talk about full metabolic health, it's being able to use the fuels that are available, uh, including your stored energy. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. So that. That makes a lot of sense. And then I guess when you, when we start to get into to pre-diabetes or diabetes, this, this kind of progresses along a path, right? So how does that work? Like, where does he go from, from, you know, from being normal and having that flexibility to getting into the, the more of those issues? Yeah. So we, we call it metabolic health progression and, and, and really kind of, um, you can almost think about these stages that are a little bit like dominoes falling. So, um, you know, energy, as we just talked about, come, we get from food right? So if we eat more energy than we use in a given period of time, we store the extra energy as fat. Our bodies are very thrifty. We don't waste energy. So we'll store it as fat. That's great. Tomorrow, we might not get enough food. So we'll use that little bit of stored energy from, from, you know, from, from today. Um, each of us can store a certain amount of fat safely, right? And for, uh, uh, for most people, the safe zones for fat are, is the subcutaneous. So just under the skin, in your legs, your hips, your butt, that's the, the safe zone for fat. And uh, kind of, you know, you think about the pear shape, right? You know, you talk about apple shaped people, pear shaped people. Pear shape is you're storing it kind of in, in your, in your, you know, in your legs. Um, that's healthy fat. When that fat gets full and each of us have a different threshold for how much that is, mm -hmm. uh, we start to spill over fat. I sometimes use the metaphor of, you know, some people have a bucket that they can store so they don't store very much. Some people have a bathtub so they can store a lot before <laughs> they spill over. Um, but once we spill over, we start to see fat in the places it shouldn't be. And so on the outside, you see that as belly fat. Um, but on the inside, it's actually fat inside the cells of the, the liver, inside the cells of the muscles, uh, and also inside the cells of the pancreas um, that causes this problem of insulin resistance. And, um, and so insulin resistance is, is basically, you know, insulin is, is our body's, you know, uh, it's really our, 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 our energy storage hormone, um, mm -hmm. it controls blood sugars. Um, and it, 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 it attaches to, to a receptor on these muscles that stops working properly. And so you need more insulin in order to get the same effect. And so you get this kind of funny thing that happens when you start getting this fat in the wrong places is you get insulin resistance. So insulin doesn't work. So the pancreas responds by cranking out more insulin. And so insulin levels start to rise, but insulin's an energy storage hormone. It's sending mm -hmm. the signal to your body to store energy. And so you start to gain more fat and you start to get in this vicious cycle where it's, it's the fat in the cells that's causing insulin resistance insulin resistance is causing higher levels of insulin that's causing more fat gain and you get more fat in the cells. So you're and in a so, catch 22 basically. Right. And so people find themselves in this, you know, uh, phase where they're, they're, um, they're, they're, they're getting increasing insulin resistance. They're getting a, a lot of food cravings cause they're eating, they're storing the energy mm -hmm. and it's like somebody put a turnstile on the fat, right? So they, they can store fat, but they can't get it out. Okay. Um, and so it's, it's one of the paradoxes of insulin resistance is 
why am I hungry and having cravings when I'm gaining weight, right? Like I've got lots yeah. of energy on board. Why? Back to metabolic flexibility. You don't have the metabolic flexibility to access that fat. Um, when we look at this process, what, what happens is it, it takes place over time. And so for the most of this mm. time, if you're measuring your blood sugars, they're normal, they're normal. because your yeah. pancreas is just compensating by releasing more and more insulin. Eventually the pancreas gets affected too, and it can't mm. keep up and it can't keep releasing more insulin. And that's when you see blood sugars go up. So that's when you first see prediabetes happen. Um, and then a, a little bit more progression, we see diabetes happen. The good part about this progression is it's not, it's not unidirectional, right? And, and we mm. used to think that it was, but it's not. You, you can actually reverse this process um, by, by simply, you know, uh, creating kind of situation where you can get rid of the fat that's causing right. the problem. You have to somehow unlock that turnstile, I guess, to use the, the same metaphor so it can go the other way, basically. Yeah, yeah, and 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 you 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 do that, and that's really what the four plus two strategy is, is all about. It's it's all mm -hmm. about taking all the actions you can take to, you know, unlock and reverse that process. Yeah. So so for those people who are not quite at that pre-diabetic stage yet, where you know the blood sugar is still normal and stuff, is there things they can watch out for, like warning signs that they'll see that you know they're on this path before they can see those abnormal blood sugar results? Absolutely right. So so for, first thing you know is just plain weight, right? So, um, well, you know, if you're, if you're starting to gain weight, then that's, that's something you got to watch, right? And so if you're, if you're gaining weight and you're gaining fat, um, you're going to want to watch that. Your waist circumference is going to start to help you understand, are you crossing that fat threshold, right? And so, um, you know, if your waist circumference, if you measure your waist circumference, really kind of at the widest part of your, your belly, kind of usually it's around the belly button or just under, you know, if you're a man and it's over 102, that's a warning sign. If you're a woman and it's over uh, 88, that's a warning sign. No, um, centimeters, right? Centimeters, yeah, centimeters. <laughs> um, so th those are things that you can do. Um, the other thing you 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 start to to notice is if you're getting hunger hungry shortly after eating, mm -hmm. um, that's often a sign that um, okay. something's happening there. And and kind of what you're experiencing is you know you're probably releasing a lot of insulin packing those calories away quickly, um, and, uh, and then not accessing them. Uh, same thing with craving, same thing with energy crashes and fatigue. Um, so those are all kind of symptoms that you might have. And if you do labs, um, so if you have a lab panel in your, you know, your, it's like, Hey, my blood sugar is normal, but I think I might be insulin resistant. Yeah. Um, what you want to look at is, is there basically the ratio of triglycerides to HDL cholesterol. So this is kind of a little, inside baseball kind of, type <laughs> of statistic, but there's a ratio there. If it's greater than one, so be, meaning that, you know, you take your triglyceride and divide it by the HDL and the yeah. number's greater than one, that's a warning sign. And if it's greater than 1.7, you probably almost assuredly have insulin resistance. Um, mm. And, you know, and that would actually, you know, yeah, qualify for, for our 12 week program. If, if, if that was the case, you just talk to your family doctor and point out to them, Hey, I think I've got insulin resistance. Yeah, in here. Yeah. So there is that, that way that you can actually check for, with the labs. And also if you obviously notice those symptoms or anything. So, um, you mentioned earlier a little bit about, um, the four plus two strategy and, um, our program and community and everything's obviously based on that to get, to try and reverse that process, unlock that turnstile to let the fat, the fat, um, to go back down those levels. So 
maybe um, for those who aren't familiar with it, if we want to, if you want to just explain a little bit more about what that four plus two strategy is and how we use it in Lifestyle RX. Yeah, so it, it's an evidence-based strategy we developed to help reverse that insulin resistant uh, process. So the process that really underlies type two diabetes, um, and there are four kind of key actions that help. That, that do this and they help people lose, they basically help people lose fat and therefore lose the hepatic fat or liver fat, which is what's driving that insulin resistance. So the first thing we want to do is we want to eat in such a way that we don't need as much insulin, right? Mm -hmm. Because um, if we're eating foods that are full of sugar uh, or foods that are full of fast carbohydrates, they actually require a bunch of insulin when you eat them, right? So, um, mm -hmm. so that has your pancreas cranking out a whole bunch of insulin, which then packs that, that, that those nutrients away. So yeah. we want to actually stop that. And, and so we, we really focus on, on changing kind of the, what people are eating, getting rid of those fast carbohydrates. Um, also making sure that we, we don't eat foods that are going to generate energy overload, right? Cause we kind of talked about this is, this is ultimately there's, you know, insulin resistance is a product of energy overload. It's too much. Uh, yeah. yeah. Too many calories over time. So the ultra processed foods, right? They're, they're foods that, you know, they're kind of like industrial packaged foods that, you know, the foods that have ingredients that, you know, you're, you, you, in your yeah. chemistry class and yeah, to, yeah. to decipher um, the fast foods, um, those foods just don't generate a satiation signal proportional to the amount of calories you're getting. Right. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, that's the experience that uh, all of us uh, maybe at one point or another <laughs> lives where you, you know you go to mcdonald's and you get a big mac uh, you know <laughs> you know you're fry. hungry right away afterwards exactly right yeah. um they just don't generate the satiation signal so we, get, we 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 work with people to kind of get rid of those substitute those out of your diet um and uh and and then the the other piece that we look at kind of in, in the eating strategy is making sure that you're getting enough protein with every meal and enough fiber with every meal because those mm -hmm. are the satiating factors um, and so you want to kind of align that your, your food is sending the right signals to tell your body kind of what's coming in. The second part is, uh, so the first part is very much around nutrition quality. And, and, and with, with that nutrition, we don't put anyone on any like specific diet or anything, right? It's all just, just making those no. changes, right? But diets don't work, right? They're, they're temporary restrictive measures that we all have tried, but we all quit them, right? And mm -hmm. so what we want to do is change the quality of nutrition that we're eating and, if we can change the quality of nutrition such that our bodies register what's coming in, mm -hmm. our bodies are amazing. And, and you think about it, right? The average person eats 1.25 million calories per year. Wow. Right? <laughs> That's a lot. <laughs> and, 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 and most of the obesity epidemic is, is, is on the basis of that people tend to gain about a pound per year from age 18 to age 50. At age 50, that, that turns into insulin resistance and, and, and becomes the problem. Yeah. It's that accumulated uh, weight over time. Um, that's nine calories per day, that pound per year. Like, so our, our, our onboard computer is phenomenal. There's no way that counting calories on your own, you're going to be able to beat this onboard computer. So yeah. what you want to do is deliver the inputs that the onboard computer expects, which yeah, are whole like foods. Yeah. yeah. So whole foods, not ultra processed foods, um, kind of making sure that you're kind of aligning with enough protein and fiber to get those satiation signals. Um, and so that's, you know, that's nutrition quality is kind of the first part of this strategy. Mm -hmm. 
The second part leverages your muscles, which are your metabolic engine, right? And so yeah. your muscles do, uh, there are two big, really important things. <laughs> thing yeah so one is they they're actually the destination for any of the carbs that you do eat right so when you eat carbs 80 to 90 percent of those carbs will end up being stored as glycogen in the muscle mm -hmm. to be used for activity later so if you're not if you're sedentary and you're not exercising there's no yeah. room at the end so they, they, what happens is those carbs can't go into the muscle because there's no room there those carbs actually get turned into fat in the liver uh, those triglycerides that we talked about in your lab test that's yep. actually the fat that's predominantly coming from the carbohydrate that you've been eating. Um, yeah. And so, um, so again, kind of what we see there is let's, let's be active, use our muscles, you know, continue to carry lots of room at the end to store any additional carb that we eat. The other thing is when your muscles are nice and healthy and you're exercising, uh, especially in that aerobic zone, kind of that easy aerobic zone where you're kind of light exercise or, you, you know, you're breathing rapidly, but you're not out of breath. Your yeah. muscles prefer to burn fat, right? And so if we're trying to reverse this insulin resistance process by losing weight, ultimately we've got to burn fat. So yeah. if we can get our muscles going that they're really good at burning fat and they get really good by exercising in that zone of exercise, then that's going to help as well. So, yeah. um, so the muscles play, play these two, two really key roles. Um, and I guess there's a third role, which is if you can add muscle bulk, which for those of us over 50 is always a little bit harder, but if you can add muscle bulk, um, more muscle burns, more energy at rest. So you get Just a higher amount of bulk. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and that exercise you're talking about, it's not like, you know, running a marathon or lifting, doing anything extreme. It's that, that, that I don't want to call it easy, but that easier zone of exercise, right? Just the, yeah. So, you know, I mean, such a good point, right? So, you know, the world health organization talks about 150 minutes per week of exercise, moderate to vigorous exercise. Going for a brisk walk is moderate exercise. Um, hmm going for a light jog or, or, you know, a little bit of a run could be vigorous exercise. 150 minutes a week is, you know, 20 to 30 minutes a day. Um, what we try to get people going is, is ideally what, what I want you to do is something every day. And mm -hmm. so build the frequency habit first, you know, start with something small, you can build duration over time. And then when you're starting getting fit, you can add the intensity, right? Yeah. And so yeah. many people, when they get started back with exercise, they add the intensity it, too it, soon. It, yeah, it feels horrible. Yeah. yeah. So, so yeah, it's 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 actually incredibly gentle. Um, and we've, I mean, we've had some amazing kind of stories in in our groups. Um, you know, I had one person who had really severe osteoarthritis and and was really quite heavy. And she she said to me, "Look, I can only like walk like thirty meters in the in the courtyard. That's all I can do." Yeah. So we said, "Great, that's what your minimum is for the day." You know, yeah, do that. But by the end of the program, she was walking for 30 to 40 minutes. And, wow. and I thought the thing that was really cool was she signed up for a, a, a pro, an exercise program at the community, uh, you know, fitness center. Um, so her and her whole identity had changed, right? She, yeah, she went yeah. to somebody that I can't exercise because I'm limited to somebody that I do exercise, even though I'm limited to somebody that is like, hey, I'm actually getting I'm, you know, I'm getting fitter. I'm losing weight. I actually feel really good. And I like yeah. being an exercising person. So yeah, yeah. So using your muscles, you know, kind of second, seconds, second part of this. The third one is, is, is kind of in a way it's kind of obvious because so much of what's happening is at the liver, um, you know, in terms of insulin resistance that's causing the, uh, you know, the, the, the type two diabetes, um, it's fat in the liver. Mm. We just don't 
you know, if we've already got fat there, we don't want to throw fuel on the fire. Right. So yeah, yeah, alcohol. um, And then, you know, alcohol is kind of the obvious one, but also fructose. Right. So interesting. Yeah. So, so if we, you know, if we look at fructose, it's, it's a type of sugar. Um, Mm -hmm. Table sugar is actually a molecule of glucose stuck to a molecule of fructose. So it's a, it's what you call a saccharide. So, um, but the fructose, when it comes in in high concentrations, um, basically gets turned into fat in the liver. And so where do you get it in high concentrations? You know, think of, you know, energy drinks, pop, other mm. things, where you're high that sugar. High fructose corn syrup that you high fructose corn time, right? syrup. Yeah. Um, and, and so that gets turned into fat in the liver and, and, and just it's fuel on the fire, right? It's, you've already got the issue there. So, so mm. we want to try to get, get rid of that. Um, and then the third one, which is really not obvious uh, around being kind to your liver, is if you're getting digestive symptoms or you're getting gut issues, what you what you'll find is is just that there's some there's often inflammation in the gut. The mm. gut, the blood from the gut drains to the liver, which again is not that obvious. Um, so if you have inflammation in the gut, you're going to get inflammation in the liver, and then inflammation in the liver makes it more likely that you're going to get fat in the liver. So again, mm. not very obvious, but one of the yeah. things we we identify really quickly in the program is people that are having digestive issues if they haven't settled down after the first four weeks i really like to get them working with our dietitian one-on-one because um, it's super fixable um, but sometimes it just (laughs) takes a little bit of work yeah for sure so yeah those those three things (laughs) through this those three things set you up to lose fat right and so um, they kind of establish the conditions that you should start to see that you can start to burn some fat um, so then we kind of do something that's pretty straightforward. We, we start with just a 12 hour fast, which is kind of normal, right? But a lot of people yeah. are not fasting 12 hours. They're only fasting eight or nine hours. So mm-hmm. we kind of make sure they go to 12 hours. And what we're trying to do is, is in the normal circadian rhythm, we're designed to eat and be active during the daytime, rest and digest at nighttime. Uh, and in the daytime, we're using predominantly glucose for fuel in the nighttime, we're using fat for fuel. So again, that metabolic flexibility. Yeah. We're flipping the switch, right? The metabolic switch, you flip over into fat burning. And then as that becomes easy to do 12 hours, if we're trying to lose weight, we extend that out to 16 hours. We just spend a few more hours in that fat burning window. Hmm. Um, it works really well for insulin resistance. Um, and predominantly because most of the time with insulin resistance, your insulin levels are high during the day and they're inhibiting fat. They're back to that fat turnstile. Yeah, at yeah. the time they dropped low enough that you actually unlock that fat burning and go the other way yeah. and you go the other way. And so you get that switch going and it's really fun to see, you know, we'll see people who like, they can't fast more than eight hours and, and within a few weeks they're fasting 14 hours and they're feeling wow. great yeah. and they're, yeah. they're going crazy. I'm fasting 14 hours and I'm not hungry and I don't have any cravings. What's going on? <laughs> But those are the signs that this this is working, right? Yeah, and so that's yeah. the earliest sign that you see is that you start losing these symptoms. The the four plus two has the plus two, right? So those yeah. four things generally for most people, you know, that's that's the path. Uh, the plus two are the wild cards, and so stress and sleep they both drive cortisol, and cortisol, uh, you know, it's it's our stress hormone. Uh, what it does is it mobilizes energy. And the problem is it was designed, you know, our stress system was designed when there was a bear chasing us or a saber. (laughs) Now our stresses are mainly psychological. And um, so we get this stress response that actually turns around and and cortisol 
increases glucose production in in your liver so you pump more glucose into trying your to get you ready to run away from the bear right give you the energy right yeah, um, yeah. it also breaks down your healthy peripheral fat that healthy safe zone fat yeah breaks that down and puts fatty acids into the into the bloodstream um and, mm. it, and then if you don't use that glucose and you don't use the fat that it's kind of mobilized it then predominantly you store you end up storing the yeah, resulting energy as visceral fat so it's taking that, that good fat and just turning it into bad fat. just Basically, yeah. right? And you see it really dramatically when people are on, um, you know, prednisone or kind of synthetic cortisol for, you know, for autoimmune diseases or arthritis. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the side effect of it is is that you, 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 you basically lose peripheral fat. And I forgot to say, you also break down muscle. You actually break down muscle to turn amino acids into fat, right? So, wow. yeah. um, so, so people on prednisone, they lose muscle bulk, they lose their peripheral fat, they end up with lots of visceral fat. And yeah. just going on, on that alone can actually drive somebody into type 2 diabetes. So, wow. um, so again, you know, everybody's individual. We've got to assess, assess these things. Mm-hmm. And the last one then is uh, one more, right? Sleep. Sleep, yeah. And sleep, you know, kind of our, our big metabolic reset. So we talked a little bit about the metabolic switch going there. It's also what's, you know, we, we, we get the cortisol levels down um, and it's, it's your ultimate recovery, right? And mm-hmm. so one of our kind of thinking around stress is that, you know, we can tolerate a lot of stress in our lives if we get a proportionate amount of recovery. Sleep is our biggest recovery factor. And so people that aren't sleeping, uh, you tend to a, not recover from the stress that you do have, and then yeah. not sleeping in and of itself can cause uh, cause uh, you know rises in cortisol uh, that can make make your blood sugars worse. Cool. So yeah, so that's the the four plus two strategy, and that's kind of what we 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 teach in our our twelve week program, and then also we we talk about in the community all the time. So uh, for the benefit of uh, the listeners here who are kind of new to this material and are new to Lifestyle RX. Um, there, there is a program you can sign up for. So if you're diabetic or pre-diabetic in uh, Ontario, BC, or Alberta, we're currently launched. So it's covered by your provincial medical plan. Um, you get a detailed lifestyle medicine with a, consult, a consultation with one of our physicians, uh, potentially uh, with Dr. Vern here or with one of our other awesome physicians. We make you a personalized report. Um, there's a huge online curriculum with like over 24 hours of content. And um, these weekly group sessions, which you've talked to about a couple of times, but I've I've been to the, I've been to them a few of them and they're actually just like the coolest thing ever. You get a bunch of other people going through the program and they're actually, they're quite awesome. Yeah. Yeah. There, there, there really are something, um, in, in the sense that, uh, um, you know, one of the best examples I've heard of why they, these groups work is, um, somebody heard, somebody told me this, they said, I was listening in the group the other day and th- this woman described kind of her feeling and, and, and how she kind of was beating up on herself. And I felt so empathetic and compassionate for her. And then I realized that what she was saying was the same voice I have in my own head when I beat mm-hmm. myself up over things. And so I think the insights that you, when you hear somebody else going through the same thing yeah. and you realize that you, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's easier to have compassion for others than for yourself. For yourself. Yeah. I find with, with behavior, you know, when we're trying to change our, 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 our behaviors, um, it's so much is in your mindset and we, we, unfortunately, when we try to do things, we sometimes get locked into this all or none thinking of, you know, we need to be perfect. And if we're not perfect, then we're failing. And this terrible mm-hmm. comes in our head and says these horrible things. When you're in the group and you hear other people kind of struggling, it really makes you kind of go, 
hey, you know what? I got to be more gentle with myself because yeah. that person is doing awesome, right? Like they've made all these yeah. changes and they're doing awesome. And you yeah. realize I'm that person. I'm doing all these changes. I'm, you know, so, <laughs> yeah, so, definitely. Yeah, it's 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 it really is special, um, and and it's something kind of as as physicians running these sessions, um, it's 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 quite a privilege, right? Like we we get to see people kind of doing the hard work. We're we often joke we're like Sherpas. Yeah, <laughs> we can't climb, the <laughs> kind of give you a better direction. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but before we get on to uh, the next stuff, I just want to mention if anyone's interested in that, um, you can head to the show notes, the links wherever you get your, this podcast from, and you can you can click the link there and sign up and. Uh, uh, we'd be happy to have you. And if you're not in uh, one of those places where we've launched so far, um, there'll also be a link there to join our community. Um, you can do that from anywhere. There's a bunch of the contents in there. You can uh, see what other people are asking questions, ask questions yourselves, and, and talk to other people who are going through it. So there is something available there, even if you're not in uh, Ontario, BC, or Alberta, where we're currently launched. And we're hopefully coming to more places soon. So stay tuned for that. Um, okay, so we'll go on then to our uh, question that we've uh, picked out. So we asked in, in the community, we asked for a bunch of questions, and we had an outstanding response. So there was so yes. many questions. So it was unbelievable. Lots of time to get through all of them. So we picked out one for this week. So uh, the question we're going to answer today is uh, from someone that said, I stopped eating at 7 p.m., and my blood sugar is at 6 um, millimoles per liter. And then when I go to bed, uh, why does it go up to 8 in the morning when I wake up? even though I've not eaten anything. So it's at six before they go to bed and then it's, it's higher in the morning at eight and they didn't eat anything. So where's yeah. that coming from? So this is, this is one of the, the most common questions and it's just a great question. And, um, and, and so you kind of have to understand back to all, all of what we've been talking about with the you know, fuel and metabolic flexibility. So when you're, when you're active in the daytime and you're eating, the, your blood sugar is coming largely from the meals that you eat. Mm -hmm. After a meal eventually all the glucose trickling into the blood stops, you know, you've, you've absorbed everything. And so when you're not eating, your liver's producing the glucose, right? Mm -hmm. At a normal, Dan, do you remember what, you know, how much glucose is, 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 is the normal 5.5 millivolts per liter? How, how much glucose is that in your blood? One teaspoon. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's a little factoid that, that still amazes me, but yeah. A teaspoon of glucose is circulating in your blood uh, at a normal blood sugar. And so you're going to go through that. Your body at rest is going to go through two teaspoons per hour. So brain uses one teaspoon an hour. The rest of your body uses one teaspoon per hour. And so when you're not eating and there's no more glucose trickling in from the carbs you've eaten, it's up to your liver, right? So mm -hmm. your liver takes over and it starts producing, taking, you know, one teaspoon mm -hmm. per, <laughs> per 30 minutes, yeah. Um, and it does that overnight. Um, but something happens around five in the morning or four in the morning. Um, and it's called cortisol release, right? So cortisol, what yeah. I call the stress hormone is actually our get up and go hormone. And so mm. cortisol sending that little signal, like Dan, you're going to get out of bed and you're going to use some energy. So let's, let's get the liver kind of ready. And so it mm -hmm. sends a signal to the liver to produce a little bit more glucose. And, um, what happens in, with people who have insulin resistance is essentially um, that message comes to the liver. The liver starts producing a bit more glucose, and then the pancreas is going to release a bit of insulin to kind of slow it down and keep it, keep it under in check. Yeah. Um, what you see is is that that break on the glucose production doesn't work properly, and so your blood sugars rise a little bit. And so uh, so that's a cortisol effect. It's called the Dawn effect. Um, if you wear a continuous glucose monitor and you're not diabetic, you'll see it. It's really subtle, 
right? But you'll still yeah. see it goes up a little bit. Uh, it gets accentuated with the more uh, more liver fat that you have, the more insulin resistance you have, the more that gets accentuated. Mm-hmm. Um, it goes away, right? It gets better um, over time, but it correlates very closely to the amount of liver fat that you have. And so again, that doesn't happen quickly, right? Yeah. When you change your meals, your response to your meals happens, you know, with within the context right. of the meals. Yeah. Um, so you can improve kind of your daily blood sugars quite a lot just by changing how you eat. This morning blood sugar takes a while because you got to get rid of that fat in the liver. Um, so it will get better over time. And then the one thing I always like to say to people about this when they're measuring their morning sugars is remember, it's a cortisol effect. If you're stressed or you didn't sleep, you it's going to be worse, right? Worse. Yeah. Yeah. So it's pretty volatile. And, um, and so, you know, I, I, I have to really encourage people at the beginning of the program not to get bummed out if they get a high blood sugar in the morning, because there's lots of different reasons for it. And frankly, yeah. it's, it's, it's one of the pieces that's going to take a little bit longer to improve. Um, we're talking weeks, not days. Yeah. And you especially don't want to get stressed about it because then you're going to get more cortisol in your office. Yeah, exactly. Right? Even worse, right? <laughs> we, 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 we have had that happen. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, definitely. Excellent. So yeah, if you have a question that you'd uh, like us to answer uh, on another week of the show, um, head uh, again to wherever the show notes are and however you're watching this, there'll be a link to our, this post in the community um, for this episode. And you can, you can leave your uh, questions down below and we'll pick another one out for next week and uh, we'll answer that one. So, okay. So uh, nearing the end here, we'll go through uh, what's your thought of the week for this week. So slow and steady wins the race. Um, and it's, it's advice that I'm always giving to people at the beginning of this is just slow and steady, right? You know, we try, try to be perfect. You know, whenever we try to be perfect, we do that for either three days or three weeks and then we stop, right? Yeah. Um, when we try to be better and we do, you know, small bits of better done consistently, um, we really get some good results. So slow, steady, um, you're, you're going you're gonna to really, you know, do well with this. Excellent. Um, okay, and then um, uh, to finish us off, we have a, a case of the week. So we actually, um, you went and uh, did a deep dive into a, a patient um, with some of what their their numbers were and stuff. So they actually have a, a video we'll play for that, that um, and then we can discuss it afterwards. So we'll let the video play now. All right, sounds good. Hi, it's Dr. Brendan Byrne, Medical Director, Lifestyle RX. want to do a case study today that relates to personal fat threshold. So... The case study is of JR. She's a 62-year-old uh, South Asian woman, um, has a history of gestational diabetes. In 2010, some weight gain, A1C increased into the pre-diabetic range, and in 2015, uh, she was diagnosed with diabetes and started on medications. Uh, when she joined the program, she was on Janumet, um, so combination medication of citagliptin and metformin. Uh, A1C is pretty well controlled, and BMI is in the healthy and optimal range. Um, and so JR's goal was to reverse diabetes and get off medications. So really, when we look at her, what we see is very well-controlled type 2 diabetes. Um, remember, in our program, what we see, you know, the way we look at diabetes is it's this balance between the pancreatic beta capacity, so what your pancreas can do to produce insulin, and insulin resistance, so the amount of resistance that insulin receives that determines the normal blood sugar. So in JR's case, what we see is that her pancreas is actually working pretty hard to try and overcome some insulin resistance. So some pretty significant insulin resistance at about 2.62 times normal, 
pancreas combination of the pancreas plus Urgenumet is trying to balance that, and it's almost in balance with an A1C of 6.3. And remember, in, in our model, what we see is insulin resistance is driven by fat in the liver. So about 400 grams of fat is usually what's driving the insulin resistance that we see in type 2 diabetics. And most type 2 diabetics need to achieve pretty significant weight loss in order to reverse this insulin resistance. But the problem for JR was, look, her BMI is optimal, right? She's at 22.7. Um, her waist circumference does give a little bit of a hint because she's kind of in the high-risk zone, so just inside the high-risk zone for women. Um, but what we did was we took a step further and we said, let's go do a body composition. And so this is a whole-body DEXA uh, scan um, that is able to tell us body fat percentage, uh, you know, lean mass percentage, bone density, but really quite importantly, it's able to identify if there's any visceral fat. So we can see here that there is a little bit of visceral fat. And in fact, when we look at the visceral fat mass, um, it's about twice as high as we'd like to see. So um, we're able to identify that JR, despite having normal BMI, is carrying some visceral fat. So with that, JR embarked on our 12-week program uh, doing the 4 plus 2 diabetes reversal strategy. Um, and the 12 core behaviors. And what happened was her BMI did go down. So she went from 22.7 to 20.5. And that weight loss was enough to pull away that visceral fat. And, uh, and that allowed her A1C to normalize, go from 6.3 to 5.7. And so this case is a great example of personal fat threshold. And so, um, you know, what we see is people have different amounts of healthy fat that they can carry, right? So some people can carry a lot of healthy fat before they start to spill over and get unhealthy fat. Other people have a lower personal fat threshold and at a lower or normal BMI may still even have some unhealthy fat. And so this case uh, demonstrates that getting rid of that unhealthy fat is always the right thing to do, even if the BMI is normal. So again, kind of driving home this concept of personal fat threshold. And so conclusions, you know, for lean type 2 diabetics, we've got to address insulin resistance. If we see insulin resistance, it's likely on the basis of visceral fat. Quantifying the visceral fat really helps us make a weight loss target that we're more comfortable with. It is hard as a physician to make a recommendation to lose weight when the person's BMI is normal. And whole body DEXA scan allows for this personalized measurement of personal fat threshold. And so um, super useful uh, example of, uh, of, of what to do when BMI is normal. Um, what's next for JR? Deprescribing. And so with her A1C in the normal range, we can start to deprescribe. And usually what we like to do is take that combination medicine, split it up, drop one of them, probably leaving her on metformin, uh, and then just make sure that, um, that we're not seeing any kind of return to insulin resistance or climbing hemoglobin A1C. So that's our case study for this week. Yeah, I find that that's so interesting because I've, I've heard uh, some patients that come in, they're like, I have a basically normal BMI, but I still have type 2 diabetes. And how does that fit in with what we talked about with the, you know, that we have that extra fat and stuff, but sometimes it's not even that much. Yeah, it, it's, it's one of those things that, um, you know, we, we have to be careful how we describe fat, right? And, and so we demonize fat that, you know, fat's bad, but, but mm -hmm. that's actually helpful, right? So people that have a higher personal fat threshold who can gain more fat actually, you know, 
it takes a lot longer to develop type two diabetes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so it's this paradox between kind of that, 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 you know, fat buffers, you know, buffers energy overload. Um, but people who have a small or a lower personal fat threshold, um, you know, I think often as physicians, we don't really think about weight loss for them. And, uh, mm-hmm. I know it's uncomfortable for me when I see somebody with a normal BMI to be telling them to, you know, that they actually need to lose weight. So doing yeah. a DEXA is, uh, or having access to a DEXA is great. And, um, we should put in the show notes, the, 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 where you can get a DEXA done, at least in BC, uh, we'll yeah, probably start definitely. to, uh, other partners that can, can do this. Cause it's, uh, it's super valuable data. Yeah, for sure. We'll make sure we link that. Um, okay. So, and also that, that video, um, if you're listening to the audio only version of this, that was a really cool video. It had a bunch of cool graphics and stuff in there. So we'll put a link just to that video in the description as well. So if you want to just watch that video and see all the graphics that went along with it, um, you can find that when you're, when you're back at a computer or something. So, okay. I think that's, uh, that's it for this week then. So, um, uh, thanks, uh, Dr. Burnham for being on here with us and we'll, we'll see you again next week. Um, uh, you can follow us wherever you follow podcasts. So we're on YouTube, Facebook, um, Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify, all the usual places. Um, hit subscribe or like or whatever the system is wherever you're watching so you get the next one and you can help us to spread the show to other people. Um, and yeah, so we'll we'll see you next week. Thank you so much and uh, have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Dan. Cheers. Bye.